So good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Show. I'm your host today. Well, I'm your co-host along with Rob Harris. Rob, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Excellent. And delighted to welcome a very good friend of ours, Martin Cable-Smith. Good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? Good afternoon, gents. Well, thank you. Excellent. So, Martin, uh, we've we known each other quite a long time, and I think you know Adrian probably even longer than than I do. Um, so we, we, we've got the privilege of... Uh, of getting to know you quite well and a bit more about your background but for the for the benefit of the audience could you just give us a quick summary of your background and what you're up to these days and how you got there sure sure yeah i mean th thanks for having me on guys even though you know me so well still still inviting me that's much appreciated <laughs> um yeah so i uh went back to university in the days did a, a business degree uh, not really knowing what i wanted to do went out there in the world trying to look for a general management grad scheme managed to get that and uh, ended up by default in consumer technology marketing. So I spent 20 years of my career in consumer technology marketing, working for uh, three big brands that you will have all heard of and two startups. So I went through that in my first 20 years of my career, a uh, bit, you know, bit default in a way. That's where my general management graduate scheme came in. And then I was getting to 40 and doing a big sort of life evaluation as I think you do in life. And I was getting frustrated with the corporate world and I did a what some would see as a, a 360 degree turn and ended up retraining and going into a completely new profession. So today I'm a financial uh, advisor representing St. James's Wealth Management, giving people personal uh, and financial advice. And I started that in 2007. Um, they were looking for senior managers of non financial services company uh, and I applied and I uh, got into that field. Now on the surface that looks like a 360 but in my degree I actually did business studies with finance. So I by all accounts should have become an accountant but decided that was too boring, got into marketing and then came full circle and I've been doing that now for 14 years which is quite scary. Wow. It's not often you meet people who have done a, a complete career change that at that point in their lives. Can you share what was the reason for the for, for the shift? Why did you take the leap into doing something completely new, given given that you've been doing that that marketing role for 20 years or that, that industry in 20 for 20 years? Yeah, sure. I mean, I like I like the marketing role. I enjoyed I enjoyed the marketing role. I like technology um, and, and consumer technology. But I was aware that I'd been I'd worked for Panasonic, Sony and Apple were the big brands that I worked for. And then I'd done two startups. Startups were really exciting but very, very draining. Um, and I kind of had enough of the corporate politics where you're working internally rather than externally. I also wanted to take a little bit back of control. During my process, as I'm sure many of your listeners were heard, I've been made redundant a couple of times during that process, which is a you know, scary thing to happen when you've got young kids. And so I wanted to take back control. And I figured that in the next five years from that point in time, I was absolutely going to get made redundant again. And the higher up the tree you go um, and the, the more you're earning and the more redundancy can be a problem. And I, and I was figuring that that could happen to me. So I kind of took a preemptive strike, if you like, and took, took positive action. Good. I'm sure it took a lot of courage, but it's obviously paid off. You've done, you've done really well. I've seen you thrive over the years and, 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 sort of moved up the organization to to now senior partner. Yeah, right? senior partner. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was 
it was a leap of faith on the one hand, but I kind of rationalised it in my brain that I was going to be there anyway. So I might as well be in control of that leap of faith. It's very difficult yeah. going from, you know, when you've worked yourself up to marketing director level then and, and the salary that that comes with to go back to the bottom again, effectively. So, right. you know, I, I, I did go back down the salary run, so to speak, to, to, to have to build it back up again. Yeah. One, one step back, two, two steps forward. Absolutely. So. And, it, and, it, and it has worked out. It has worked out well. Brilliant. So, so one of the uh, goals for this call, from my perspective, is to is to talk about um, financial independence for yeah. specifically for our audience who are, are, are typically sales sales professionals within tech and software. Yeah. Um, and you know it's it's very well documented um, that in tech the, the salespeople tend to earn have the opportunity to earn a lot of money. Yeah. Um, compared to other industries, so many of them are, are in the sort of top two percent of the UK in terms of earnings or USA or whatever, whatever geo. Um, it involves a lot of, um, lot of a stressful environment, working very long hours. Mm -hmm. You've got that continuous deadlines of month end, quarter end, you know, year end and all, and all that good stuff. Um, and that tends to lead to often very high octane lifestyle. You know that yep. there's a lot alcoholism, drug dependency, mm. relationship, car crashes. You know the divorce rates are off the charts. It's it's well documented, yep. and so you get you kind of get this situation where you know you've worked really hard for 20 years, you've made a ton of cash, but you're spending it like it's going out of fashion, yep. and then um, and you get to I don't know 40s or 50s, and 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 really you're still a long way from that independence. So given all of that. Um, what what sort of advice would you have? What practical steps could someone take so that they could, if they wanted to, you know, move into retirement early? What 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 are the sort of things that they should put in place? Yeah, and I think go back to the first point: financial independence. What is financial independence? Well, you know, firstly, financial independence is probably very different for for very uh, for for every different person. So, you know, financial independence to one person might be: well, I want to continue this high octane lifestyle. I, I, I want to keep the boat. I want to keep the villa. I want to change my car every eighteen months. And that's what I see in retirement. Now, that type of person's got to look in the mirror and be honest about what the cost of that lifestyle would be. You know, I equate that one to premiership footballers. You know, they earn huge sums of money. But again, like you just said, it's well documented that many of them go bankrupt 10 years later because if they're earning three million and spending two, when they're earning naught and they're still spending two, the, the money they've saved doesn't last. So that's one extreme. Then you've got the other person that, that, that is appreciative of what they're doing in that sales and it's a means to an ends and they and they can accept that their lifestyle in the future might be more country life going for hikes and a pub lunch once a week so firstly i think you've got to be honest about what your independent financial uh, you know financial independence goal is you know so what what are you actually looking for do you really genuinely want to keep that lifestyle going or, or do you not? And there, and that's the starting point. So the starting points are understanding where you want to go. Um, you know, I think we talked about this before. If you if you're in a sales environment, you have a sales plan. You you know what accounts you're going to target. You know where you want to go. And if you haven't got that, you're not going to succeed. And, right. And most people put off the financial plan. They don't think about it because they're too much in the moment. They're too much, you know, taken up with the 
you know, with, with what's going on and achieving their goals, and then it becomes too late. So I think my first sort of tip is have a good understanding of where you want to go uh, and then, um, you know, start to put some building blocks in place on where to get there. I mean, the other thing I would I would potentially um, not challenge you on, but 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 raise, and you you've brought this up, and I, um, if you look at high earners, I, I and I've said this to, to to both of you in the past, there are only about four hundred thousand people in the UK that earn more than one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year, and I would figure that most senior software salespeople are earning well in excess of that. Um, that's not uncommon from what I've seen. The, they've got to be honest with themselves about where they sit in the hierarchy. You've just said they're in the top 2%, but do you think they feel they're in the top 2%? Um, and do they behave like they're in the top 2%? Probably not. They're, they're, they're striving for that more. So I think they've got to step back and reflect on where, what they're achieving and be a bit realistic about it. You know, if you're earning more than £312,000 a year, you are in the top 50 or 60,000 people in the entire United Kingdom, and there's 70 million of us. So, yeah. you know, if you can't make that work economically, there's something going wrong. <laughs> so how you talked about putting a plan together uh, yeah. as to kind of where you want to be. Yeah. What, what is that? What are we talking about for, for someone that hasn't hasn't got a clue? So we're we talking about a budget. Yeah, we're talking about we're talking about a budget, a budget and a plan. And we're talking about, you know, for the financial independence, there will be a number. You may have heard this saying, what's your magic number? So what's your magic number? What's the number you're striving for? You know, and, I, I, and I've had people come up to me that, 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 you know, I've had one person come up to me, I remember, who was in sales training, actually. And, you know, he knew his number and it was five million. That was his number, five million. I'm going for five million. When I've got five million, I'm stopping. And he was kind of prepared to adjust the time scale for the number. You know, if that came right. tomorrow, I think he'd walk. If it was going to take him an extra five years, it would get there um, in that business. So, so that, that, the five million, that's being the total value of the pot. The total value of the pot. Investments, pensions, everything. Exactly. Yeah. And so once we know where the number is, you've got to look to build that up. And, you know, from a, you know, there are various pots that you will create over the years. Um, you know, a pension pot, an ISA pot, a general investment pot, maybe a buy-to-let property uh, and other investments. If you, I mean, I have a client that's into wine. If you're into wine, there's investments in wine you could make. You could put, you know, 5% of your disposable money to that if you wanted to. From a financial planning point of view, there's a hierarchy of where you start with, with regards to tax effectively. And number one is pension, number two is ISA, and then you work your way down. Um, your average person, uh, if you're, um, under 240,000 a year salary, you could put 40,000 a year into a pension and 20,000 pounds a year into an ISA. Well, that's 60 grand worth of savings. And if you were a couple, that's 120 grand worth of savings. There aren't that many of my clients that step beyond that in terms of regular saving, because if you're putting 60 grand a year away for 20 years, that's going to get you potentially where you want to go. Right. Um, Got it. The other thing I think with um, talking about your, your cohort particular is the earning cycle. It's probably not linear and upwards. There's probably peaks and troughs. So they need to be planning for those peaks and troughs. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's- Troughs always come at the worst possible time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and again, you've got to decide as a, as a family, assuming you're a, a family unit, what your, what, what your priorities are. Um, you know, 
if you go and decide you're going to educate your three children privately, you know, that you're saying goodbye to at least 150 grand of your salary a year to start with before you even got out of bed. And you and if you're being fair to your children, you're making that commitment for seven years. Yeah. So so that's a seven year commitment on a on a on a big budget. Um, so those are decisions you're going to make which will have an impact on that getting to that number at the end. If you come to me and say, right, I'm want, I want a boat, I want a villa, I've got five kids in private education, and I've got 500 pound a month left of my 12 grand a month, then you're not going to get to where you want to go to. No, no, got it. What, what about, so we talked about investments and building up to this magical yeah. pot. Um, yeah. what, what about protection? So, you know, Yep. Things like insurance and what 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 are the what are what are the tips around that? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I started I started the wrong way around <laughs> in a way. Yeah. The first thing that you have to accept is that when you're when you start to earn good money, particularly if you've got a young family, if something will happen to your ability to to earn money, um, or your you get ill or something happens to you even worse than you die, that you're leaving behind you a family that have got a high run rate and need looking after. Um, and, and that can happen. Rob and I both know somebody who had to finish work in their late 20s and, and hasn't had a full time job since. And luckily, they had an insurance policy that paid them out the income if they hadn't have had that. Sometimes the employer um, provides it. But more often than not, in the startup world, particularly in the tech world, new companies coming over, they struggle to do a pension for you and they'll only do a pension for you because they've got to by law. So I'm sure that there's many people listening to this um, podcasts that are in smaller startup companies where their only benefit is, you know, big salary, stock options, and maybe the minimum that the company has to do to put into a pension, and that's it. So they may not even have life cover, for example. Right. So it's having a, a balance of, of protection and investments. Uh, in yeah, and the protection is the building block at the bottom. And the younger you start that, the cheaper it is, frankly. Right. So start early. Yeah. As I mean, early as you, you can. Could, I mean, I mean, I, I'm quoting numbers off the top of my head here, but if you've got a 30 something year old and you want, uh, you know, a million pounds worth of insurance, it's tens of pounds a month, not thousands. It's, it's really that cheap for life cover, for example. Yeah. OK. Um, you haven't mentioned crypto. Should we be putting money into crypto? Or, or <laughs> crypto. Oh, <laughs> the question that always comes, doesn't it? Um, Bitcoin. The, the, the yeah, I'm supposed, I suppose the audience, if you're, you know, in technology and technology sales, it's something that's talked about a lot. Um, I'm old and grey, as you can see, um, those that can see this on online. Um, I'm very old school. And to me, value comes from providing the customer what they want and a bit of graft. Therefore, I still haven't got my head around how you can make money out of a string of characters that you buy on a Tuesday and sell a year later, making yourself 10 grand. It, there's no economic transfer of value. Um, so I, I don't really see how it's got, um, you know, how it's got legs to run in the future, um, personally. Um, I've just been, I've just been out, I'm just looking for it now, I've just been to, uh, to an event recently with um, an economist called Sir John Kay, um, who has written a book with Mervyn King um, called Radical Uncertainty, and it's it's challenging it. And I asked him the same question: what were his what was his view on Bitcoin? And he controversially said, "I believe in the long term it has no fundamental value." 
<laughs> tell us what you really um, think yeah. Yeah, exactly I'm, not, I'm quite surprised at the directness you know he, he, he yeah. was there to give an answer and he, he killed the answer in um, <laughs> in one sentence next, next um, question yeah. His view was that the, the in the economy right now, there's been a lot of money pumped in. So there's actually a lot of money swishing around. So people are relatively wealthy. And the Bitcoin thing is a is a function of that. And yeah. he says history tells us it's more or less valueless. Right. So um, that's that was his view. Um, <laughs> I, I share the view that, of course, you know, there are really smart people that can guess algorithms and work it out. But they're in the minority. And I always ask people fundamentally what are you trying to achieve and they will say they'll look a bit blankly and then they'll say oh i'll make money so if you really want to strip that back it's greed they've heard that fred has just easily made five grand and they yeah. think i want some of that yeah, yeah. a bit of fomo so yeah I, I think fomo is the thing and i really don't understand where you'd even start if i'm brutally honest and that that's my problem um okay. I mean, if we come back to investments from my perspective, um, you know, it, it, the whole thing about financial planning it is built on the cornerstone of a very old theory, which is just compound growth. Yeah. You know, you just leave leave money there to grow compoundly, you know, at 5%, 6%, whatever the percentage you can get a year and growth on growth on growth on growth on growth. You know, there's lots yeah. of stories about compound compound growth. Yeah. You, you did mention something earlier about IPOs and stock options. Yes. Uh, but that's something that, that, that gets talked a lot about within our community, you know, especially yeah. as, especially even more so in the kind of early stage startup kind of phase. Um, yes. And, and people talk and that's part of the equation when you're when you're making a career decision. It's like, do yeah. I join this company, base salary, benefits, you know, what's the territory, what's the value prop? But importantly, what is a stock option? Uh, yeah. package look like and and so people will stick around for three four maybe five years yeah. for some liquidity event whether that's an ipo or, or, or an acquisition yeah doesn't always uh, work out right does it no i have some personal experience on on <laughs> stock options um I, I i left apple in the in 2000 and i and that was if you remember that was dot com Boom, all you needed to have was a company with dot-com on the end of it, and you were going to be a multimillionaire very quickly. Um, you know, it reminds me a bit of the Bitcoin thing, if you like. All I have to do is create this company that's got a bit of revenue and, and, and everything's there. So, yes, stock options is a um, stock options is something that is, particularly in the American culture, very part of the remuneration. And I've got colleagues and friends over the years in America that, I, that I've seen come good. I, I think it depends what type of company you're in and what stage they're in. So if you're going for a pure startup, a real core startup that's hired a few bright people in the States and is, is trying to make a break into the market, the first thing I would say is that when you're building a business, you'll see a chart that goes like that, you know, on revenue. The number of companies that go like that on revenue are almost nil. You know, it's much, it's much slower. So if somebody tells you we're going to IPO in three years, double it. Uh, you know, in your mental state, double it. Um, that's what I would always say. So, so yeah. the stock option event usually takes a lot longer than you think. Mm. Um, and and if it does happen, um, it can happen very quickly. 
Um, and then usually you're tied in for a prolonged period anyway. So you might have an event and then you're getting a 20% or 25% off the table, and then you've got to wait, wait beyond. The other thing that's changed in the last 20 years on stock options, particularly from a UK tax perspective, it's pretty much all income now. So you're taxed at 45% on whatever you get, whereas in the past there was, there was ways you could have some of it as capital gain, which is a significantly less tax. So... Um, I, I think I think I've told you this, but I do have a piece of paper somewhere buried in my house that says in November 20 uh, in November 2000, my stock options in a startup called Handspring were worth about five million dollars, which was a lot of money in 2000. By the time I got the ability to sell some of them, that was down by from. So that was a hundred dollar valuation and they were down to twenty five dollars. And of course, then you think it's going to kick back again and it goes down and down. And I think I got out about fifty thousand. Yeah. The people that got out and made the money actually were the old gray haired ones. At that time, I was 30 something. I knew better. Um, <laughs> and the, the people that got out were no there. So I think the way I always try to get clients to deal with stock options is treat that as the bonus event. Try and make your plan around assuming that that doesn't happen. So in an ideal world, you should be able to form your basic living on your basic salary, treat your bonus as a bonus and try and save some of it. And then the stock options is cream on top if it comes. And I have had, you know, I do have clients uh, and, and people I know that have made significant uh, money out of stock options, but I would say it's few and far between in reality. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, so Martin, when you're um, when you're advising clients, what what is in your experience some of the, the greatest ob obstacles you've seen people face? Not not just financially, but particularly emotionally and psychologically, trying to bring the uh, the plan to life because I know you and I chatted a few years ago and God I can't believe it's, it's over two decades that we've known each other when you said actually I think people spend more time planning their annual holiday than what they do their uh, their financial plan and I would go along with that as well obviously as a career coach the people spend far more time on their annual holiday than what they do on their career yeah absolutely you, you know let's be honest you know going on the Porsche website and configuring your Porsche is far more interesting than talking to me about pensions you know and um, it, it's an uncomfortable thing because what it means is you're going to have to forego something today for something that you're going to get tomorrow and we're not as human beings very good at that yeah so you know we're not very good at seeing our older selves particularly if we're, you know, 30 something, 40 something, and we're ripping up the, you know, we're ripping it all up. This is going to last forever. Um, you know, this is going to, this is going to go on forever. And of course it, it doesn't. Um, and then sometimes it's, uh, and sometimes it's too late. So I think the, the biggest obstacle is, is acceptance, if you like, or, you know, that people actually accepting that they might need some help um, or accepting that they, they can, um, they can do something, you know, do something about it. it. It's an interesting one with the pensions word. I, I see it all the time. People have got pensions. But older people that have been around a few companies and are let pension accrue, they might have got a lot of money in their pensions, but they, because it's got the word pension attached to it, they believe it's somebody else's responsibility almost and somebody's doing it for them. It's not. It's just money you're paid by your company into another pot. Um, you know, so they, you know, they see things in different ways. So I think it's about... You know, trying to take some control, trying to trying to accept that you need to take 
some action and the earlier you take the action the better i mean i gave the uh, an extreme example um, the other day for for, for children like this is a, a, something i tell grandparents but it it resonated it resonated when i told the story that if you put 300 pounds a month into a pension for a child on their fur as they're born and then you stop contributions at 18 so they've had 300 pound a month going in for 18 years by the time they're 60 with compound growth at five percent that's a million quid wow you know Do you want to just repeat that one martin just repeat so that again. <laughs> three if you put 300 pounds a month in for a baby on their birth you contribute it until they're 18 then you just leave it invested you know if you get five six percent compound growth by the time they're retirement age that will be a million pounds now of course numbers and numbers and damn lies you know a million pounds might not buy them quite what it would today um but you get the point you've only actually put in three thousand times twenty so you've only put in sixty thousand you got a million pound back just by just by compound growth and people have got to accept that and accept a little bit of um delayed gratification you know the other the other thing I, i i ask people to do in their companies is look around at all the all the 55 year olds in their company and there won't be many in a tech startup and then the answer is when you're 55 are you still going to be there and if you think you are you've got to ask yourself why are you so special and that's why i got out of what i did because there aren't many 55 year old marketing directors yeah 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 plenty of 45 year olds ones but not many 55 year old ones yeah yeah, I think there's an inevitability to that, isn't there? And again, there's there's a reality to those things as well. What what about it just sort of switching to those who've been successfully retired? What lessons yeah. have you learned about the adjustments? Because you referred back to it earlier about making the choice about what sort of life you're gonna have when you're retired. What about those adjustments um that people have made and, and what are some of the downsides to having to make some of those adjustments? Yeah, I think retirement's very much changed. So for, for my parents' generation, retirement was work for one, maybe two if you were really avant-garde companies. You know, you retire at 60 or 65, you get a final salary pension, a carriage clock, and then statistically you were dead within 10 to 15 years. Um, retirement does not work like that at all any longer. I think that the number of people that do what I call a hard stop retirement, which is they're working on a Friday and they're not working on a Monday, is is pretty much almost nil. Um, some people struggle with sense of identity. I think we create a lot of sense of identity via we work. When when you know if you go to a party. Um, and you meet somebody for the first time, uh, 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 you know, our age and younger, uh, you know, one of the questions is what you're going to do. I mean, there's that film um, uh, that, that Hugh Grant did it where the guy where he um, was it about a boy where his he'd written one hit song or something or his father had invented and he did nothing. Yeah. You know, he actually did nothing all day, <laughs> um, you know, and, and so you, we identify with work. Yeah, so yeah. when you take that work away, it goes. So a lot more people are planning what I call, you know, a phased retirement. And that's something like from your career coaching perspective, Adrian, if you want people, if people want to do that, they've got to plan in advance. Um, So, you know, the non-exec director roles, that's very, you know, people think they're going to do that. That's quite rare. Um, But if you want to say maybe scale back, um, do something there. So firstly, if you have no interests outside work, you're going to struggle. 
Um, you know, so it's, it's it's what are your interests outside work or how can you continue your, your work there? And I was with someone um, this week and they were, we were talking about retirement. I, I, he was probably a bit older than I thought, but he, he successfully retired in 1998 um, for three years. Right. And the guy, the guy that was introducing him in this way said, oh, you, you managed retirement for six months, didn't you? He said, no, no, I actually retired for nearly four years. And, but but that was nearly 20 years ago and he's still doing stuff now albeit a, re, a reduced rate but that's what that's what his identity is um i've got other people i know that uh you know are, are into some of their sports and stuff i've got one uh, one chap i know that he, he was determined to be a um go on the over 50s pro golf tour so that's his retirement objective I mean, he's hiring coaches and you know, that's what he's going to do. He's going to play the seniors golf tour. I haven't never been a golf pro. Wow. But that's given him that's given him a purpose. That's focus. Given him- yeah. So it's purpose and it's, it's purpose and focus. And it can be, you know, and it, again, different people have different different purposes and focuses, don't they? Yeah. Um, you know, some people will be the family and, and some people will be nature and other people will be competitive sport at a different level. You know, I've got one of my son's friends, you know, his idea of a good laugh's doing the Kona triathlon. You know, and he's my age, you know, yeah. and that's serious, hardcore yeah, effort, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, well, I think that ties in very much with obviously the passion I have about bringing um, purpose to people's careers and their yeah. lives and because yeah. um, I think a lot of people it seems to be for me there's so, so much of the um, the retirement conversation is just about the money piece whereas actually um, these other components that are psychological and emotional I, I think do make a difference as well so so if you were to um, you know what are the top three basics that you think you need to have in place then if you're I say all of our audience are in software sales um, they're all very successful at what they're doing. They're they're yeah. they're overachievers. What are the yeah. top three things that they need in place? So, firstly, take stock of take stock of where you are and be honest with yourself about where you are and where you want to go. So that's the plan bit. So you, you you've got to be honest about the achievement that you've got that you are in that top percent and therefore maybe yeah. maybe you shouldn't chase all the things you were. Understand what what your what your plan is if you like. If you've got if you've got small family, take the right steps. This is from a financial perspective. Take the right steps to protect that and make sure you've got your insurances. So if the worst does happen, which statistically it won't, which is why it won't cost you much, um, you've got that place. And then then, you know, three, it's, you know, it's the golden rule. Start, you know, start. How many people do you see in the career coaching? You The number one objective is to get them to, to go forward and start. So that is understand that you need, need to have you know this bit of investment that bit of investment the other investment and it'll give you and it'll give you what you want excellent excellent that's that you know that's great that's clear that's that's simple advice thank you and what do you wish you knew early on in your career um that you know today because i say you've you've had the opportunity to experience i suppose some great international brands and a number of different functions here as well you know if you were to look back either um you know what, what would be that um You'd be saying to your, I don't know, 18, 21 year old self before you enter Japan, what would you be saying to yourself? I think I'd, I think I'd, the first thing I say is it's going to be all right. You know, yeah. it's going to be all right. <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's like with everybody, it's confidence. You know, I'm not unique in my experience, like everybody has, of having a bit of an imposter syndrome. Okay. You know, I've been sat in meetings thinking, 
what am I doing? You know, how did I get myself here? You know, this is, you know, this is quite good. You know, how did I get myself here? Am I, am I worthy of that? So I think it's, it, it's that point of view. I, I think what wasn't prevalent when I started my career is the self-development stuff. Yeah. You know, self-development was a weakness, asking for yeah. self-development stuff. And I was fortunate to work for companies such as Apple and Sony. I mean, Sony were doing mini MBAs for senior managers and or, you know, managers that they wanted to promote within the organization. So I got my self-development because I worked in a large company. Okay. Um, even those large companies don't do that anymore. So I think I would, if I was looking back on myself, I would have probably invested more in okay. myself at that time. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Well, look, Martin, um, thank you very much indeed for today's conversation. I just think for me, this I was just going to do a summary of just sort of three critical things. But, but what we've been hearing today is the important thing to do is, first of all, have a plan. Yeah. Uh, then be realistic about what that plan is. Yeah. Um, but also then actually close that gap, actually take the first couple of steps and start this process. Um, yeah. I think your career, though, is real testimony to um, and it's, it's great to hear it, that um, it will be all right. There is yeah. going to be confidence to actually keep moving forward. And just to say, one of the things I've always admired about you is, you know, just moving to be a financial advisor as well. I know the sheer number of exams, the sheer mind flip you had to do on that. But you've constantly invested in yourself. And that seems yeah. to be a strong message that we all echo. And uh, I know people in the enterprise sales community actually constantly yeah. do that. They're always looking to get that bit better today than they were yesterday. Excellent. Thank you very much. Good to speak to you all. Thank you. Our pleasure. And um, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.